Well, it's an honor to get to be here, and I appreciate each of y'all for being here this morning. I didn't send out my little, uh, uh, actually Steve sends it out, but I write my little uh, weekly missive. Um, so, uh, uh, sorry, I thought about it this morning and decided it was a little late to send it. But I really had great ideas. I get emails from a few of you that say um, uh, that you read it, and so I that's all I need to kind of crank me up and going is two readers. So mom and Becky, I'll send another one out next week. <clears throat> it is an honor to be here. We've been going through the Bible. We're getting near the end. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because uh, we're, we're peeling through October. By the end of October, we start reading. We, we're through with Acts and we start reading the book of Revelation which is going to make it really interesting to teach um, because the scriptures that I've put with Revelation are really appropriate scriptures, but they're very Old Testament, deep, intense, uh, expressive scriptures. So many of the images and ideas and words in the book of Revelation come straight out of some Old Testament prophecy, intense books. And so that's going to be interesting to teach. I don't. I started to say fun, but I don't know if it's going to be fun or not. It might be miserable, um, um, but I'm I'm excited to teach it. So I hadn't figured out how yet. But uh, <laughs> as we get closer, you might be interested in that, and uh, uh, it might prove uh, to be something of fascination to you. So anyway, we're working through that. Yes, I am still in trial. Many of you came up and asked me. Uh, uh, it is. They said, "Did you win or lose?" Um, because when I win, I'm quick to talk about it. When I'm lose, I will never say a word. <laughs> It'll be as if it did not exist. Um, uh, it is a, an intense trial. We've got probably three or four weeks to go uh, at least. So uh, thank you for your prayers and your thoughts and your concerns. Meanwhile, the readings that we had this week <clears throat> are fascinating readings. They kind of break into three different areas for purposes of our teaching. The first area is what I'm calling spiritual warfare, though I will tell you it is spiritual warfare that is also very much a a physical warfare as well. The Bible is not very good at this, what we would call platonic dualism or this idea that... that, uh, the, the spiritual is entirely separated from the physical. They enter, it's, it's all part of one in a biblical sense. So we'll look at the spiritual warfare aspect first. And then there's a section that, that I think is relevant that focuses on the holiness of God's word. And you may be thinking, well, of course the Bible's holy. It says on the cover, holy Bible. And that is, that is true. But there's a little bit something more to it than that, at least as, as uh, uh, the, the lesson unfolds for me when, when I'm applying the lesson to my life, which is, now I want you all to know that the way I go through this lesson, both the writing and the teaching, is trying to put the material together, but it's always with an eye towards what's it saying to me. And that's why we have those points for home or those key action points. That's not me preaching at you. That's me uh, preaching at me, you just get to hear it. And so uh, that's that's what we've got going on. So the holiness of God's word. And then there is a third section in here on suffering. And I want us to look at that a little bit. We got into it some last week. And as we're reading Second Corinthians at this point, 
as we're reading 2 Corinthians, then in the process, these are themes that seem to reverberate. So some of what we've been hearing are the ideas we've already been talking about. But it's with fresh scripture as Paul continues them. We will finish 2 Corinthians next week. We've got one more reading day in it, and that's tomorrow, Monday. But then we get back into the Acts narrative. We had paused, bless you, the Acts narrative long enough for uh, uh, us to read the letter Paul wrote during his third missionary journey. And so that's what we've been doing. So let's get to that. Let's start with the spiritual warfare. And in 2 Corinthians, it starts with chapter 10, verse 1, and it goes into about half of chapter 11. We're going to be a little more intense on the Elmo this morning because I really want to zone in on some of the scriptures. So my slides that we've got on the PowerPoint are more designated to help frame what we're about to read. <clears throat> Paul was in an intense fuss. Um, fuss is maybe not as, as strong a word as we need. Paul was being undermined in Paul's ministry to the church at Corinth. Other teachers had come in that are false teachers claiming to have apostolic authority. An apostle is someone who's been sent by God. You think of it like the word post, postal, postal service, post office. That post comes from the Greek apostolos, someone who has been sent. So in that sense, people were claiming to be apostles sent from God to give a message to the Corinthians. And they were undermining Paul and undermining his message. There has uh, a long, long time, it, it easily goes back to at least Aristotle, an identification of, of <clears throat> okay, look, time out for a minute. You know, there are ways that are fair to argue, and there are ways to argue that are unfair. Okay? So, fair ways to argue, in Mark Lanier's book, are to analyze the argument and see if it makes sense or not. Unfair ways to argue, the Latin label for this logical fallacy or this bad way to argue is ad homonym. It means instead of addressing the argument, you just attack the person who's making it. And so instead of, you know, if one person says, hey, I think the Bible says this, then the next person says, well, I think you're an idiot. Well, that doesn't deal with the argument, you see. So these people are undermining not only the substance of what Paul's saying, but they're arguing against Paul himself and undermining Paul. Now, when people uh, attack you or attack me, Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. The problem here is they're not, if they're just attacking Paul, Paul can handle that. What disturbs Paul is their attack on Paul is an attack ultimately upon his message. And that he won't stand for. He will not stand for someone attacking the gospel and undermining the gospel. And so we're going to see this. So this is the first segment. It's basically uh, uh, Paul versus the super apostles. And he uses that phrase himself. I don't think they called themselves super apostles, but Paul calls them that. 
And he does it with tongue-in-cheek, the so-called super-apostles as opposed to poor little Paul. All right? So let's, with that background, get a flavor for this. We'll go to um, 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 10. We have an automatic focus button. It works. So here's where he says. Here's where he starts. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you. Now, that may seem odd to you, but we've got to remember in context, Paul's writing this letter with his compatriots. He's got Titus, Timothy, different people with him at different times. So Paul's writing the letter and he often is saying, we, 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 we. But at this point, Paul's zooming in and he's going personal. Mano a mano. I, Paul, myself entreat you. By the meekness... By the gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Let's pause for a moment. Remember, this is very interactive. Paul's responding to letters. He's responding to communications and people. Paul, when he was in Ephesus and he started this letter, is only a two-day trip from Corinth. It's overseas. It's easily done. And so Paul's in communication with the church and with people from the church. And so Paul is hearing what they're saying about Paul. And one of the things they're clearly saying is, hey, You've seen Paul. Man, in person, he's like nothing. He's, 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 um, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say it. But he's, he's a cream puff. He's, he's, uh, I'd say sissy, except I've met a lot of girls tougher than I am. So that's not really a good thing to say. <laughs> uh, so I, but I mean, they're just saying, you know, He's, he's, he's a wimp. Oh, he writes these big, bold letters. But you've seen him. He's nothing. Which also makes you wonder if he's really writing those big, bold letters. Because they come across a lot bolder and bigger than little Paul. So he hears this. And he has zero problem. I mean, Paul's humility, Paul's meekness, Paul's niceness, Paul's gentleness, which has been interpreted by some to be uh, uh, this pushover Casper Milktoast guy, is actually an emulation of Jesus. And Paul's basically saying, hey guys, You want to meet me firm, bold? That can be arranged. Because I come with the power of Jesus. The power of God. It's a resurrection power. It's a power that can raise people from the dead. You really want to go to war with me? Look at how he writes. He says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I'm away. As 
some of my detractors are saying. I beg of you. That's not a beg like, pretty, pretty, please. That's like, uh, I entreat. Look, I'm just asking you in earnest when I'm present that I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. I mean, he's basically said, I'm coming. And there are some people I'm going to deal with. And I'm asking you, don't be in that group. Though we walk in the flesh, we're in this body, we're in this world. We're not waging war according to the flesh. I'm not coming to punch someone out. I'm not coming to challenge someone to a duel. I'm not coming to push someone around. But I am coming to fight for the Lord and His message. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience. When your obedience is complete, is finished, is ripe, is mature. Here's what Paul's saying. Look. We, we may be walking according to the flesh, but when, and by that he, he's not, don't think Romans flesh here. Think he's talking physical. We may be walking physically, but that's not how we're coming to destroy things. I'm bringing divine power. And he's using a very military set of language and expressions. General Paul is coming with weapons of warfare to destroy the strongholds, to to destroy uh, uh, the arguments, to rip apart these opinions that are so high and mighty and lofty and so self-confident, to take captive every thought to bring obedience to Christ. That's what he's coming to do. Then he says this, look at what is before your eyes. Try to move this up just a little. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's Christ, he needs to remind himself, so are we. If these super apostles, if anybody out there is going to say, hey, I belong to Jesus, they need to remember, so do I. And so do the guys with me. Even if I boast a little too much of our authority, it's not boasting of himself, of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you. I'm not going to be ashamed. Now, my goal is not to frighten you with my letters. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. And his speech is of no account. 
you got to cut Paul some slack at this point. I mean, it's pretty apparent he does Latin, he does Hebrew, he does Aramaic, and he does Greek. I think he's doing pretty good just to speak the language. <laughs> but there, you know, he, he doesn't speak with the authority. You know, Paul's this little guy. His bodily presence is weak. Um, on my way to church this morning, I went by my local theological library, which is closed on Sunday, so they didn't notice I stole a book. Sorry, Sharon. Um, I stole the Acts of Paul and Thecla. Let's see, there we go. What is the Acts of Paul and Thecla, you say? Good question. The Acts of Paul and Thecla is an early Christian romance novel. It was written sometime between probably 60, 70-ish A.D. and about 170 A.D. So figure within 100 years or so uh, after Paul dies. And it uh, was written, at least a good bit of it, was written by an elder of the church. And uh, according to Tertullian, a guy with great credibility to me because he was a lawyer, in about 190 AD, the lawyer turned theologian Tertullian was telling folks, oh, by the way, you do know that when they figured out which elder of the church wrote this, novel, that he got defrocked because he had made up a, a bunch of this stuff. And that's what it really is. It's, it's, it's a, a novel about Paul and this woman named Thecla. And, uh, uh, and yes, they're chaste, um, if you're wondering. But uh, she clearly has a crush on him, which is tough for her because she's set to be married to this other fella. But it's a fascinating read, and, and scholars read it, because it tells us much about what was going on during the church in that period. And there are a good set of scholars that also believe that the description it gives of Paul is probably fairly accurate. Because it seems it was initially written with the idea that it might inspire people to, to appreciate Paul on a whole new level. And so we can read about a number of people in here that we can identify as accurate historical figures. It was written by an elder of the church over in the area where Paul had his ministry. The events actually unfold during Paul's, allegedly unfold, during Paul's first missionary journey. And it's interesting to me, and I bring it up, because it's the earliest description we have of Paul. Physical description. And because it's so early... I think it's got some decent credibility to me. I think it's very likely this is what Paul looked like. It was written to be passed off as authentic at a time where people were alive who still knew what Paul looked like. So it's a whole lot easier to pass something off as genuine if you get the description right of the main character. You know? I mean, if you're going to write a book about me and try to persuade people, you need to describe me properly. Six foot six. Four percent body fat. 
bench presses Becky for breakfast. Here's a, I'll put it up here in Greek and in English so you can pick which one you want to read. Uh, and he was going down the king's way. This is the fellow going to, to wait for Paul, the one from Lystra. And he stood eagerly awaiting him, Paul. And he was looking over the people coming by according to the description Titus had given. It's kind of like, you'll recognize Paul. He's the guy in the pink polka dot jacket. And he saw Paul coming, a man small of stature, bald-headed. A couple of you guys just sat up a little bit taller in your chair. <laughs> Feeling pretty good, aren't you? Pretty holy right now. My, my brother-in-law, Kevin Roberts, is going to call that the Paul do from here on out. Bald-headed, a crook in the legs, healthy. A brow meeting in the middle. He was Cro-Magnon. A small nose. A gracious presence. Sometimes he appeared as a man. At other times he had the face of an angel. So that's Paul. Maybe. I think there's a good chance that's what he looks like. We do know from what Paul says, at least in here that people who were mocking him or making light of him, maybe I should say, referenced the fact that his bodily presence is weak, small, not strong, not big. His speech is of no account. Paul says, now let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. You've got the people among you who are bragging about themselves. But our boast, oh, these people, they compare themselves with one another. We will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Look at chapter 11 as we continue this. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Humor me, he says. Do bear with me. See, I feel a divine jealousy for you. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Whoops. Indeed, I consider I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. 
Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I mean, this is hilarious. You realize what Paul's saying here. The people who are accusing Paul of being weak, of being less than than them, not measuring up, those people are actually taking money from the Corinthians. While Paul is earning his own living while he preaches to the Corinthians. Now, in our 21st century mindset, especially in capitalistic America, our response would be, hey, I'm going to trust the guy who's not got his hand in my billfold. But back then, they, the, the super apostles, the fake teachers, had convinced the Corinthians that they were professionals. And Paul was an amateur. They used the fact that they took money from the Corinthians to boost and bolster who they were. If we think of it in athletic terms, we'll come closer to understanding it. Um, There is a difference between someone who plays professional football and someone who plays intramural football. Now, there are some colleges with very well-paid athletes. I'm not familiar with them. I'm from Texas Tech. We don't pay our athletes quite as much, as was evident Thursday night. Um, Sorry, I digress. My point is, This idea that some people were so good they were professionals and Paul was not. Paul's saying, is this a sin? Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them to serve you. He didn't literally mean, hey, give me your money. I want to go serve the Corinthians. That's an expression. I robbed other churches. So Paul says, I was with you and I was in need, but I didn't burden anyone. Hold on. We have focus. There we go. I was in need, but I didn't burden anyone. The brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my need. So I refrained, I'll refrain from burdening you in any way. And the truth of Christ, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced. Why? Because I do not love you? Oh, God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do. Oops. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission, They work on the same terms we do. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles. And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants do. Oh, wait till you get to the part where he says, if you hadn't read on, 
and I'm coming. And it can go down one of two roads. Some people will enjoy me being there. And other people are going to meet the wrath of God. And it's like this movie. I mean, not just the movie. I mean, like one of the classics, one of the really good ones, like Rambo. You know, Rambo 3, where he's raiding the Russian Afghanistan camp to get his captain out. It's just a feel good. Stallone's not tall. Okay. So uh, uh, it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. Look at the spiritual warfare for a moment. This is what Paul's saying. I'm not here to defend myself because people are stepping on me. But they're tampering with the gospel of Jesus. That's what's worth defending. And Paul says, my goal in life is to model the meekness and humility of Jesus. But that does not mean that there's not a time to throw the money changers out of the temple. It's pretty, pretty bold. It's also interesting to me to see the spiritual warfare going on and see the way Paul sees it in a spiritual battle and not simply in in physical terms. It's not a popularity contest for Paul. It's not uh, anything less than the forces of Satan are at work trying to destroy the kingdom of God. And for that, Paul will use his body, he will use his mind, he will use his letters, he will use his presence, he will use his influence, he will use his prayers, he will use his devotion, he will use his emotion, he will use his love, he will use his compassion, and he will use his fierceness and his boldness to defend the message of Jesus Christ especially as received by those who, whom he loves by the church. It's pretty cool stuff. Okay, so next, the holiness of God's word. Now, this is some of this as well. Paul's saying the same thing, but I want to focus on it a little bit differently. Paul's saying these people are false teachers. These are false apostles. These, they, they, they're children of Satan. They're the spawn of hell. Shouldn't surprise you. You're thinking, but gee, they come off so nice. Well, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you think with Eve, he jumped out and he said, Hey, lady, I dare you to eat that. (laughs) No. He says, hey. Is God letting you in on the good stuff? What do you, what do you mean? You know, did he, did he tell you about the really good stuff? Cause sometimes he plays that secret thing. She says, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can eat of everything. We just can't eat of that tree. In fact, we can't even touch it, which is not what God said. I might add, but can't even touch it. He goes, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> God, man, you know, he just doesn't want you to learn some stuff that he knows. He doesn't want you to be like him. That's all it is. You know, he's got his little kingdom. He's going to be God. You have to be Eve. He's got to be Adam. 
you know, that's just, anyway. It's pretty good stuff, though, if you ever decide to eat it. That's the cunning nature. And so he disguises himself as something good. Paul says, so you got these things disguised as something good. By the way, do you know how to tell the difference between Satan and truth? What is consistent with the word of God? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying if they're giving you a different gospel, if they're preaching a different Jesus, if they're coming to you with something that's false in any way, weighed against the word of God, then they're wrong. Yeah, but it sounds really good. Well, of course it does. Satan's going to get a lot more followers with stuff that sounds good. Hey, you want to know his biggest lie today? I'm convinced. I could be wrong. He could have some other big ones I hadn't figured out. But you want, you want Mark Lanier's view of Satan's number one lie right now? Hey, there's no such thing as Satan. I don't even exist. Oh, cool. Well, I don't need to be on the lookout for him anymore. I mean, that's like an invisibility cloak. That's that's the big deal. So so Paul's just saying, hey, that's where this is coming from. That's what it is. Now, if we, if we look at the holiness of God's word, we've got 15 minutes. I've got to figure out how much time to spend. Let's look at Ezekiel 13, because that's one that you probably don't normally read in your daily quiet time. But we threw it in there. Ezekiel 13. False prophets condemned. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, and said, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. And say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, who say what they want to say, who say what they think others want to hear. Hear the word of Yahweh. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen Zippo. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You've not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They've seen false visions, lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord hadn't sent them. And then they expect him to fulfill their word. You know, there are a lot of people who proclaim messages from God that really aren't that consistent with Scripture. There are people who have a name and claim belief that 
if you just name it and claim it in the name of Jesus, then you get it. That's just not scriptural. God doesn't change his will that way for the namers and claimers. And that, that doesn't mean it doesn't have a germ of truth. I, Jesus says you have not because you don't ask. But, but we ask in accordance with God's will. And, 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 and there's just, you know, we, we've got to be really careful with that tension. Pastor David, yeah, I readily admit I'm biased because I really like him as a person and a friend. But before I grew to like him as a person and a friend, I loved his preaching. I loved his preaching because I thought he was preaching the word of God. Now, do I agree with everything he preaches? No. But 95% of it is just like, wah! And the 5% where I disagree is just enough to make lunch fun on Sunday afternoon. He reads my lessons. I think if David were standing right here, he'd tell you, hey, Lanier, I don't agree with everything he teaches. Probably 95%. But 5%. But, but the, the 5% I disagree with David on, for example. I don't, this is not, gee, who is Jesus and what is the gospel? This is on some minor little interpretation of some passage or this, that, or the other. And it's, it's, it's iron sharpens iron. And when we get together and we discuss things, it's, hey, did you think of this? Well, yeah, but did you think of that? Well, no. You know, well, yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's marvelous. It's growing together. But I want to tell you, you can find churches where the pastors will stand up and preach whatever the people want to hear, that's a feel-good cheerleading message that will pack them out through the doors. But when people hit that rough spot in life where they're looking for Jesus, they, they, they don't understand where, oh, I thought I could just name it and claim it and I'd get it. I must not have enough faith. And, and I really appreciate the fact that, that God says over and over, look, you know, there is a message from the Lord that's holy and right, and it needs to be treated as such. Don't ever be deceived into thinking it's the same thing you necessarily want to hear. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord God, because you've uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people. They will not be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel. They won't enter the land of Israel. And you will know I am the Lord God because they misled my people. Saying, peace, when there is no peace. You know, it's, it's an interesting set of scriptures. But God's scripture is very holy. There's a great story in 1 Kings 22 I put into this to, to read as well. 1 Kings 22, you've got 
a, a pagan king of, of uh, northern Israel and a holy king in southern Israel. And, and so they decide to go battle against each other. Ahab's the northern king. You know, he's married to Jezebel. That didn't go well. You know, she ruined that name forever. I mean, did any of you ever contemplate even... Rem- I have four daughters. Never even entered our mind. Let's name one of them Jezebel. <laughs> Jehoshaphat, who's a godly king of Judah, comes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel says, Hey, we need some help. I need help battling the king of Syria. Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat says, Hey, we're all children of Abraham. I'm in. Said, uh, but first inquire first for the word of the Lord. So the king of Israel gets the prophets together. He's got 400 of them. Says, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead? And they all said, oh, go. The Lord will give it to the hand of the king. Whoops, Freudian slip. That's not Yahweh. That's not Yahweh. That's If it was Yahweh, it would be all capitals. You see, Jehoshaphat said, go inquire for the word of Yahweh. Jehoshaphat said, isn't there another prophet of Yahweh that we can ask? I'd really like to know what Yahweh says about this before we go to fight. And the king says, well, we've got this one guy left, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> this guy, he never says anything good about me. It's always bad. And Jehoshaphat says, hey, he's prophet of the Lord. Just bring him. So the king of Israel summons an officer and says, okay, go get Micaiah, the son of Imla. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they're sitting on their thrones. They're arrayed in their robes. They're at the threshing floor, the entry of the gates of Samaria. All the prophets are prophesying before him. The prophets have learned their lesson. Now they're saying, thus says Yahweh. Oh, you're going to punish the Assyrians. There'll be mincemeat before you. It's all going to go up. Go on. Yahweh is going to give it into the hand of the king. And then the messengers show up to Micaiah. Or Micaiah. I've never asked him how he pronounced it. Said, behold, all of the other prophets are saying exactly what the king wants to hear. So you need to say the same thing they're saying. But Micaiah or Micaiah says, as the as Yahweh lives. What Yahweh says, that I'll speak. So he goes to the king. The king says, you know, the king's kind of like, oh, great. Here he comes, mister. I got nothing good to say. So he comes and the king says, okay, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? (laughs) I love this. And, uh, Micaiah says, uh, oh yeah, go, 
You want to go? Go. God's going to give it into the hand of the king. But he's clearly saying it so sarcastically. He means the exact opposite. I mean, I don't know if he does it this way. Oh, yeah. Go. You got this one. Or if it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you're going to win. But somehow he does, because the king's reaction is, how many times shall I make you swear you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? At which point the prophet says, okay, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, these have no master, let each return to his home in peace. At which point King Ahab turns to Joseph and says, I told you. I told you this guy was never says anything good. Didn't I tell you he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me but evil? And uh, the prophet just goes on and tells more details. Hey, by the way, he was right. The prophet was. He was prophesying the word of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat honored the prophecies. And Jehoshaphat went on to live. And the king Ahab did not. And king Ahab went on to die. There's a holiness to God's word. Uh, we saw that, the Ezekiel passage, 1 Kings, the Jeremiah passage. I love that passage. That's one where uh, you know, the, the Babylonians have come and they've shipped off all the Jews to Babylon or a bunch of them. And the ones that are left are trying to figure out, should we go down to Egypt? What should we do? And they said, well, you know, Jeremiah called this whole thing. He clearly had the Lord's heart. So let's just ask Jeremiah. And, they, and, and all the people wanted to do A, but they said to Jeremiah, should we do A or B? Jeremiah said, do B. They said, liar, liar, because they wanted to do A. They just wanted him to get rubber stamp it. And when he wouldn't rubber stamp it, they went off and did their own thing. You know, are we listening for God's word or are we listening for what we want to hear? That's the lesson behind those. Suffering. Um, I got three minutes left, so... I can't deal with suffering in three minutes. But don't feel bad, because if I had an hour, I couldn't deal with it in an hour either. So it's not like I was going to give you these great profound answers. But I was going to say this. There is a difference between the perception that Paul has for suffering and the perception you get from the prophet Habakkuk, who doesn't understand why the good people of of Judah are suffering, and, and the Lord is letting a less holy people persecute People that may not be right with God, but at least they're better than the unholy Babylonians. Or Assyrians, excuse me. So we have that from Habakkuk. Then we have the passages from Job, where Job addresses suffering, and his friends address suffering, and they do it in a very different way than Paul. For Paul, suffering is simple. Paul's walking the route that the Lord gave him to walk. And it involves suffering. And that's because this world is not fair. This world is a war. And there are enemies that are afoot. And Paul recognizes it. And Paul's using military language because he's fighting a war. And suffering happens. And there will be a day when all of that's over. But in the meanwhile, we're in a war. And it's not simply a spiritual war, it is a physical war as well, being orchestrated by spiritual battles and spiritual forces. And so they're suffering, and Jesus suffered. 
It's just the way it is in this world. The difference is, is we suffer knowing God will bring redemption out of it. Knowing that no suffering in itself is wasted. That God has an ability to refine the way silver and gold are refined through fires that melt off the impurities. God has an ability to work through the suffering of this world to bring uh, uh, life and purpose and meaning and redemption. So, key takeaways. Number one for me, I want to care about, whoops, there we go. I want to care about God's issues. I want to listen to God's words. And I want to walk in God's grace. Because that was Paul's ultimate answer in his suffering. He says, you know, I've healed a ton of people. This thorn in the flesh, I prayed three times for it to go away. It won't go away. I'm pointing to my gut. So most people seem to think it was Paul's eyes. You know, he told the Galatians he had to write in big letters and all this stuff. So uh, whatever it was, we don't know. But Paul says the answer for me is not, gee, the suffering's going to end. It's going to be that God's grace is sufficient and I'll make it through this by the grace of God. So I look forward to talking to you again next week about where we are. But would you let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we leave? Because, Lord, that is my prayer, that you would uh, bless each and every person in here, each and every person watching this on the Internet. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them in your care? Would you make your face shine upon them such that it lightens their light, their life, brings joy to their hearts, strength to their step? It rounds off their rough edges. It makes holy and kind and beautiful and right. It brings joy to the bereaved. Gives direction to the lost. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Give them your peace. Through the Lord Jesus, the peacemaker. Amen. Amen.